Well, our passage this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It's in your pew Bible on page 1003. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Let's hear God's word. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it always goes out from you and accomplishes your purposes. It never returns. be true this morning as we open it, uh, as we uh, think and, and read and discuss here in Hebrews 4. We pray that you would make it um, effective uh, in our hearts, and we pray that you would uh, do something, uh, something good with it um, in grace. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, one of, of my best friends a number of years ago was driving through Arkansas back to Memphis from a hunting trip. He was in that no man's land between Little Rock and Memphis, and he came upon an unusual traffic situation. Uh, both lanes of traffic were, were stopped on his side, but there was nothing really in front of these cars. There was no accident that he could see. He couldn't see what was actually stopping the traffic. And so thanks to some peer pressure from some others in the cars, these things work, uh, he decides, eventually he thinks, you know, I'm just going to go around. And so he, he comes out onto the shoulder and, and he, he gets going and almost immediately there's a policeman coming toward him uh, the wrong way down the interstate. Apparently there was a big accident way up front there. And so the, the policeman is, is just irate. And he says, didn't you see... The cars stopped, and he, he writes my friend two tickets, uh, one for reckless driving and, and one for disobeying a police officer. And so my friend gets the tickets, and he's just not quite thinking very clearly about this, I guess, because a, uh, a few months later, he goes to this tiny Arkansas town, and he thinks that he is walking into some sort of low-level traffic court, Okay. And uh, when he enters the courtroom, he realizes that he has made a grave mistake. This is a trial, okay? The judge is there. The policeman that pulled him over is there in his dress uniform. And my friend realizes he's in big, big trouble. And then when he takes the stand, things only get worse. He tries to defend himself. Okay, he, he claims, I keep saying my friend, this sounds like it's me, this did not happen to me, I just want to clarify, so truly a friend. Um, my friend uh, tries to kind of defend himself by speaking to his own character, he says, you know, I'm on Young Life staff, I'm in ministry, and he says, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm a very careful driver with a great record, and for whatever reason, this just infuriates the judge. And so when the gavel falls, my friend is going to jail. Okay? Not for long, about 48 hours, but he gets the jumpsuit, he gets the proverbial one phone call. He has to call his wife in Memphis who is pregnant, and she is a teacher, so she can't even answer the phone. He has to leave her a voicemail. 
And he, he said, honey, I'm going to jail and I'm not kidding. <laughs> and of course, he's flooded now with this realization that the key to escaping this whole situation, he says into the phone, he says, I've made a huge mistake. I should have hired, what, a lawyer. And so in the slammer in the county jail, he had plenty of time to think about how what he truly needed was a representative, somebody who could defend him, who could fight for him, someone who could stand in the gap in his place and take the arrows from his accusers. And so you see where I'm going with this. Our passage today reminds us of a very similar spiritual reality. The reality that we cannot approach God, we cannot draw near to the throne of grace on our own. We need a representative. We need someone qualified to stand in the gap between us and between God so that we will not be consumed. Because God is too holy. He's too perfect. He's too just for us to approach him on our own merits. And so in our sin, we stand accused. And we need a spiritual representative, a priest, really a, a, a something bigger, than, like a, a perfect priest, a great high priest to represent us before the throne of God. And so that's what we'll talk about this morning. Um, only, only three verses this morning. But there's a lot packed in here. So we'll divide it three ways. And I borrowed these from Dr. Mike Kruger, RTS Charlotte. I believe they're printed in your bulletin. First, uh, Jesus is a high priest that effectively intercedes for us. Second, Jesus is a high priest that fully sympathizes with us. And third, Jesus is a high priest that really purifies us. So he effectively intercedes for us. He fully sympathizes with us. And he really purifies us. So let's look at the first of these. A quick little primer on the context we find ourselves in. Of course, you as a church have not been in the book of Hebrews. So we'll set the scene here. The author is making a, a very simple argument. The argument is Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And he's, he's really keyed in for this audience on the idea that Jesus is better than the Old Testament structures. Sacrifices, temple, priest. Now, to some of you, the idea that Jesus is a substitute is, is very familiar. It's, it's really, it's truly at the heart of, of what it even means to be a Christian. And moreover, you probably don't need very much convincing that Jesus is better than the Old Testament system. I mean, very few people in this room sort of want to, to have to make a blood sacrifice for their sin on any given day. Although with deer season approaching, there may be some... some some people in here are like, I don't know, you fill the freezer, could be okay. But there's a larger point here that Jesus isn't merely better than the Old Testament sacrificial system, that he's better than any system. He's better than anything that we can come up with to, uh, to atone for our own guilt, to purify us, to make us acceptable before God. And we have set up many systems, and we're not... We have come up with many schemes, uh, trying to substitute some sort of technique for Jesus, some method, some logic. Sometimes we do it with big systems, political parties, cultural institutions, sometimes more, more personal systems of achievement or, or moral standards or, or social cachet, sometimes even with spiritual systems, 
right? A certain type of prayer or devotional life or doctrinal structure. And that is really the nature of the human condition in sin. And that all of us know that something is, is deeply wrong in this world and in our hearts. And our first move is to look for salvation and truth and freedom in the things of this world. The things around us. Sometimes in us. And so in that sense, we are really not much different than these first century readers of, of Hebrews would have been. Because just like them, we need someone to stand in the gap between us and, and a holy God. Between unholy us and holy God. What the Bible calls an intercessor. What this passage is getting at uh, with this phrase, high priest. And so truly, you know, somewhere deep down, I'm convinced that we know this because we use representatives all the time, right? We use lawyers. We've mentioned that. Real estate agents. I, I have a CPA because I need a tax representative. My plumber is on some level representing me before my pipes, and he might be the most important one of all of these people, right? And so think about that. If, if we need a representative in all of these different worldly context, then why would we ever think that we could stand before God without one? It's absurd, really. I mean, I, I can't even figure out how my microwave works. My wife had to call somebody this week to fix it. And so how could I stand before God alone? We need an agent. We need a substitute. Ultimately, we need a savior to do what we could never do. And that's why this concept of Jesus as our great high priest is so important. It's at the heart of the Christian life because we live in God's world and scripture is clear that we will stand before him one day. And thus verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. The first thing we see here is that Jesus is a high priest who has passed through the heavens. And this is a reference to Jesus interceding for us in the presence of God. So Christ, our, our counselor. Now, the Old Testament high priest, of course, did this in the temple. It was a sacred place. It was where the presence of God was, was concentrated at the time. But Jesus, Hebrews says elsewhere in 924, entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. In other words, Jesus goes into the presence of God. He goes into the most dangerous place in the world to represent you. And not only that, but Jesus intercedes eternally for you. That's another thing that only he can do. He does not grow weary or tired. He doesn't forget about you and get distracted by something else. Again, elsewhere in Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Old Testament priests got tired. They had to sit down. They had to go to the bathroom. They had to eat. But Jesus intercedes with perfect steadfastness. And so what makes this high priest great? What makes him the greatest, in fact? was by virtue of his life and his death and his resurrection. And thus we're encouraged here in verse 14 to, to hold fast our confession. In other words, to faithfully cling to Jesus. 
And that's really always what faith is, right? It's, it's, it's this quality of desperation. Like faith never says, well, I, I guess I'll try this. I mean, that's, that's just preference. Faith says, I, I have to have this. Without this, I will die. To quote the song, give me Christ or else I die. And that's also, interestingly, to me at least, the, the polarizing nature of the presence of God. Because we sing as Christians, rightly so, uh, these, these, we sing joyfully, right, of, of God's presence one day. If you think of the song, Before the Throne. But without Jesus, the presence of God is, is the opposite. It's death. It's eternal horror. And so we hold fast. That's a nautical term. By the way, I know we got some sailors in the crowd here. It's this idea of, of hanging on to a ship's rope or rigging, ha- hanging on even in the midst of a great storm, hanging on, holding on for dear life. And that's really what we do with Jesus in the presence of God. But uh, the interesting thing, I think, is that truly it's, it's grace that is holding on to us. And so it reminds me more of uh, in the Odyssey, remember, when Odysseus orders the sailors to tie him to the mast while the sailor, uh, uh, while the sirens, should say, sing their, their beautiful song of death. And so we can hold fast because it's grace that holds us. It's grace that has, that has tied us to the mast. And so Jesus is the great high priest that, that effectively intercedes for us. Second, Jesus is a high priest that fully sympathizes with us. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So uh, Brene Brown, some of you have heard of, she's an author, speaker, she's a researcher, especially about um, shame in particular. And she says that the two most powerful words in the English language are me too, me too. You know, for my kids, I think the two most powerful words are I'm hungry. And then I try to combat that with my two most powerful words, which are not now. Uh, they always win that one. They won it this morning. But for the rest of us, it's me too. Me too. This idea of, of someone understanding how we feel. It's why it was turned into a hashtag. Because it's so powerful. A whole movement even. Because we all have a tendency to think that, that no one else is really experiencing what we are. That no one else is experiencing the shame or anxiety or confusion that we feel. And, and while it's true that Jesus uh, did not always experience those things internally in regards to sin in the same way, uh, this verse reminds us that Jesus knew what it was like to live in a dark and, and broken, fallen world. He knew what it was like to be in danger, to be vulnerable even unto death. And so it's a powerful thought that that Jesus can look at us and say, me too. That he too was tempted, fully God, but fully human. And thus tempted by money and power and comfort and conflict avoidance, all the things that we're tempted by. And he can say, me too, in our shame and and, uh, me too, to living in a body that's breaking down over time. He was betrayed by friends. He was misunderstood for who he was. He was written off and made fun of and and cast out from the in crowd, wealthy, popular, powerful people. So truly whatever you're experiencing, whatever you have experienced, then Jesus 
simply, he, he gets it. He understands. He, he looks at you and he says, me too. And so Dane Orland put it this way. He said, the deeper into weakness and suffering and testing we go, the deeper Christ's solidarity with us. As we go down into pain and anguish, we are descending ever deeper into Christ's very heart, not away from it. So if you think about this, I think it speaks to another struggle of ours to think that that Jesus loves us and, and even that he died for us, but that he doesn't really like us. Or maybe to think that he only likes us when we're strong, when, when we're smart, we have it together. And that's really not true at all. Jesus sympathizing with us is, is proof, I think, not just of his love, but of his like, of his affection for us. And so it's your weaknesses that, that makes your resume before Christ. And so the beauty of that is that when you bring your sins, your imperfections to Jesus, then he is a bottomless well of sympathy and compassion. And the beauty of that is that if you have a bottomless well of sympathy and compassion in Jesus Christ, then you don't have to constantly be trying to pull that out of others. You're actually free to show compassion instead of always being on the hunt for it. And this is one of the great paradoxes of Christianity. Is what Paul meant when he said, when I am weak, then I am strong. It's counterintuitive that in Christ, we are like little children taking strength from our parents. My youngest uh, yesterday, Wilkes, fell off the swing. Um, He was on his stomach, so he fell forward, swing came out from under him, and he he came at the ground kind of this angle. So the first thing that hit was like right here. And it's all muddy underneath the swing because all the, the feet. And so he just had a big mud stripe all down through here. And uh, he, he ran to me, or I ran to him, uh, which is a better analogy, actually, to, to give him strength in his moment of weakness, right? And so strength, inner spiritual strength, the type of strength that uh, to face the most difficult spir- uh, situations in this broken world. Spiritual strength, I mean. Um, I think that that strength is far more transferable than we realize. That um, someone looking at us and saying, me too, gives us sometimes new strength, new resolve. Hey, I'm not the only one. But Jesus himself looking at us and saying, me too. That is a whole other level. That's like rocket fuel. We can face anything if he's with us. Even God himself in all his holiness. And that leads us to our last point here. Jesus is a high priest that really purifies us. So verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How can Jesus be the great high priest that really purifies us? Because in him, the perfect priest and the perfect sacrifice come together. This this Old Testament sacrificial system, blood of bulls and goats and lambs and birds to atone for the sins of the people, that taught a, a few different things, but maybe most importantly, that sin has very real consequences. That sin always results in death. That blood always has to be shed in order for sin to be atoned for. That's how justice works. That's how the justice of God works. But as Hebrews reminds us later on, 
the, the blood of bulls and goats could never actually atone for sin. Because you've got an imperfect priest putting forward a, an imperfect sacrifice, an imperfect animal. And that can never make a perfect sacrifice. It could quench God's wrath once and for all. Now that doesn't mean, I don't think that Israel was just play acting. It's more, it's more like they were practicing because those sacrifices pointed forward to another. The whole system pointing forward to the one to come. In other words, if you're connected to Jesus by faith, all the power of, of a, a perfect priest offering himself a spotless lamb, all of that power is given to you. It's credited to your account. We call that justification. And so uh, J.R. Packer's classic essay, What Did the Cross Achieve?, puts it this way and quotes a hymn for emphasis. So our conscience is pacified by the knowledge that our sins have already been judged and punished, however strange the statement may sound, in the person and death of another. Bunyan's pilgrim before the cross loses his burden, and top lady can assure himself that if thou my pardon hast secured and freely in my room endured the whole of wrath divine, payment God cannot twice demand, first from my bleeding surety's hand, and then again from mine. So that the sacrifice is once and for all, and the justification therein is also made once, given for all time. It also means, to apply this, that you can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Not just at the day of judgment, but every day in prayer. And so uh, it's incredible really, that the, the throne of a perfect, infinite, just God who would consume you in your sin, that you can come boldly into the throne room. And all your messiness, weak, crying, covered in mud, as it were, and ask him with full confidence for whatever you need. And again, the, the shorter catechism says this beautifully. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. He gets at that, that, that free relationship of a child coming to their father in the name of Christ. And so our prayers come to the Lord through that filter, the name of Christ, through the, the filter of Jesus. He's like a... A spiritual water treatment plant, purifying all of the elements of of our tainted and and imperfect uh, prayers so so that they are acceptable to God. And so you can ask. You can ask in confidence. You can ask for help in a shaky relationship. You can ask for help in your struggle with substance abuse or anxiety, whatever fear or crisis you're facing, whether big or small, and you can know in that moment that the one who intercedes for you so effectively that that he fully sympathizes with you, and that he really purifies both you and your prayers, and you can know that though you were in the courtroom, right, fairly accused, destined for punishment, that your perfect representative interceded. You don't even need the one phone call. You only need, it's, it's been replaced 
by a lifetime of direct access to the throne because God demanded payment only once. And Jesus has remitted that payment for all time. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that we would believe these things, that we would understand that Jesus uh, has done it, that we pray that we would look to him um, for strength in that. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.